How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode four of Generation X Lapsed, uh, an episode that uh, very nearly didn't happen. Um, if I were to go into the events of my day, um, I think uh, many of you would think I was crazy for even bothering to put this episode together, but here we are. Um, neither rain nor sleet nor Whatever the hell I went through today uh, is going to keep us from doing what, uh, you know, the thing, the thing that we do. So let's uh, let's hop into some GXV2 here and uh, see what we can see. This is Generation X, Volume 2, Number 4, had a September 2017 cover date, written by Christina Strain, with pencils by Amilcar Pinna and Martin Marazzo, inks by Roberto Poggi and Martin Marazzo. Colors, Felipe Sobriero, Letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles, Edits, Robinson, Ketchum, Shan, Benizia, and Alonzo. Cover price $3.99, went on sale July 17th of 2017. Now we open to our normal full-page spread of Roll Call and Cred. The characters we're going to be paying attention today include Jubilee, Bling, Kid Omega, Nature Girl, Morph, Hindsight, and iBoy. Now we open in Central Park, you know, where else, where the kids are trying to seek out that entity that beat up Face last issue. Now much of our narration for this issue will be coming to us from Bling, starting with her reflecting on the time she realized she no longer had, you know, actual skin and instead was, I don't know, foil embossed or whatever her, uh, whatever her uh, makeup is here. Now Quentin interrupts her inner monologue by asking her to put up her hood, you see, the moonlight is reflecting a glare off of her shiny self, and he finds it both annoying and distracting to the mission at hand. Nate, Nate Carver here, he leads the crew to a tunnel under some rocks. I gotta concede, it's been a minute since I've been to Central Park. Are there really just like a bunch of catacombs there that people can like freely enter? Uh, seems a little dangerous. Um, now the scene shifts to the Xavier Institute of Air Conditioning, Heating, and Refrigeration, where Call Me Jubes and Danny Moonstar are having some drinks. I thought Danny was out looking for the kids with Jono. That's how we ended last issue, right? Oh well. Now we learn here, and well I learn here, this might be common knowledge, that uh, Jubilee can no longer get drunk, seeing as though she's all vamped up. And uh, I'm not really big into vampire lore, so I don't know if that's like an established trope of like, you know, Dracula's or something. I, I really don't know. Now the discussion 
goes from drag queens to Jubilee's students. Now, you see, Jubilee is over the moon with how well these kids are coming together. That makes me feel like either A, we've missed an issue, or B, Jubilee is completely out to lunch. She laughs about the curfew that Kitty had enforced uh, last issue, and she thinks back to her days as a young mutant in training. She says, you know, back in the day, she probably would have snuck out, which prompts a light bulb to go off over her head. Now, it's worth noting here, um, what was the thing that caused that dude's face to melt off in that uh, Indiana Jones movie? Like the Ark or the Grail or whatever it was? The art here makes it seem as though Call Me Jubes and Danny have both looked at that thing. They're very, very melty. So they run in to check on the kids. They first stop at Quentin and Benjamin's room, and it's empty. Then Roxy and Lynn's, also empty. Finally, Nate and Trevor's, and duh, it's empty. So that was a great use of an entire page. Uh, Danny tells Lee to hand over Shogo and go find her kids. And uh, she must already be in on the gimmick of Jubilee using the baby as a reason to not actually do anything. So, there you go. We hop back to the cave or the catacomb or whatever it is, and the kids watch as cockroaches and rats run away from them. In formation, even. They're very, uh, they're like soldier-esque here, the way they run away. Eyeboy asks Nature Girl if she can ask the rats for some help. To which, she says that rats always want something in return. I mean, what could that be? Cheese? I mean, it's a small price to pay to find out who attacked Face, right? Eh? Uh, Nate is distracted by the sound of someone calling his name. Now, it's soon revealed to be Phoebe Cuckoo trying to get a bead on their location. Quentin decides to ixnay this psychic connection by concocting some construct tinfoil-esque hats, which are able to jam the Cuckoo's abilities. Now, Ben Deeds is not uh, cool with this, and he suggests that maybe they just head back and face the music. Roxy, however, won't have it, claiming that if they go back, they're done. Ben reminds her that done is better than dead, and asks, you know, what exactly Bling has to prove here. And she goes into a spiel about never becoming a real X-Man, and says that it's really the only option for her, and she's not okay going back to living among the humans. Just then, a two-dimensional swirly shadow being appears behind her, and, as if the cover hadn't already spoiled it, it's Monet. Uh, well, Monet as possessed by her brother. This is M-Plate. Uh, not M-Plate, E-M-P-L-A-T-E, but M-Plate. M-Plate. Get it? Like, Monet was M, M-Plate. Uh, now this, I want to say, uh, occurred during one of the last X-Books I was reading before Running for the Hills. Maybe that uh, weird... Uncanny X-Men volume that was more like an X-Force book Back when, like, Extraordinary X-Men was kind of the flagship of the line What a confusing time to be an X-Fan Now, it's alluded to here that Bling has already had a run-in with M-Plate before Though, I can't speak to that Now, Quentin lashes out with some flying psychic blades Monet manages to stop them and actually redirect them right back at QQ Piercing his right shoulder He's shocked Shocked, I tell you, at how much this hurts. Stands to reason, it's a blade. M then uses her disgusting hand mouths to go into Roxy's ears and start sucking on her marrow. This allows her to replicate Bling's powers. Uh, it also appears to allow her to make the art for the rest of the issue really fall off a cliff. And it uh, really wasn't my favorite before this point. 
Bling, in particular, looks like Bart Simpson for the rest of the issue. Uh, the rest of the characters sort of look like Frank Quitely's work if he was, like, being electrocuted while he drew. I don't know. Now, M flies toward the rest of the team, and we're told that her face lights up like faces. The art sadly doesn't show us this, it just shows a tremendous burst of light. Now, this appears to do... Well, nothing, actually. Uh, Quentin tries to get Monet to do the whole stop-hitting-yourself thing, which appears to be his go-to for this series, and it's uh, not all that effective. And in fact, M is able to reverse it, causing QQ to start punching himself. Just then, iBoy throws his shoe at her. Seriously. Uh, Just then, when it would appear as though Monet is going to go for the killing blow, the cavalry arrive in the form of Jubilee, Chamber, and Pixie. At least I think it's Pixie. She's drawn more to look like Gert from the Runaways with Wings here. Uh, For a moment, M-Plate's veneer cracks, and it looks like she might just be about to come back to her senses. Before she does, however, she blinks out of the area. She's gone. Now, as the dust settles, it's revealed that, even though Phoebe had her connection severed, she was able to, you know, get a bead on the kids here, at least point Jubilee and the gang in the right direction. Uh, Jubilee then picks up Bling Simpson and carries her out of the tunnel. I guess uh, that strength is one of the perks of being a vampire. Next we know, we're back in that hospital room with one bed from last issue, so I... Guess face has been released then. Call Me Jube starts reading Bling the Riot Act about her recklessness. She cannot understand why it's so important for Roxy to be an X-Men, as it's really never been up to this point. Jono asks Lee to give him and Bling a moment alone. Now here's where the Roxy-flavored narration comes around. She tells Chamber that she wants to, well, well no, she needs to be an X-Men because of how she looks. She can't go back to living among humans. It simply isn't an option for her. And she knows that Jono can relate to and understand that. She asks why her mutation had to change how she looked, and she begins to cry. She and Jono embrace. We shift scenes over to the foyer, where Jubilee is laying into the rest of her squad. Nate steps forward to take the blame. After all, it was his, you know, using his powers on face that led them to heading into that tunnel. And here's where Jubilee has an about-face. She says she's not sure whether to be ticked off or really proud. The team starts having a bit of a love-in, and it is quite cringy. And uh, Quentin comically walks away from this uh, this little you know group hug. He's all, you know, F this noise, and he bounces. And I tell you, what does it say about me that Quentin Frickin' Choir is the only character in this book that I can relate to and the only character I'm actually rooting for? <laughs> now, Jubilee tells the rest of the gang that they're going to have to start working smarter, otherwise they're going to end up dead. We close out the issue with Jubilee making a uh, Bloody Mary? It's a blood cocktail in any event. Uh, it looks like she's using one of those, like, those weary, you know, hand beaters to blend some strawberries into it. Uh, the whole thing looks very, very foul. Now, Jono's here, and they recount everything that just happened. Jubilee can't believe they're still dealing with the St. Croix siblings after all these years. Jono reminds her that, uh, hey, you know, Monet is one of them, and it's okay for Jubilee to feel conflicted. Jubilee takes us out of the issue, uh, vowing to kick Monet's ass. Which, eh, okay. That's where we leave it. 
So let's talk about it. Now, I gotta say, right off the bat here, that the second two issues of this volume of Generation X were worlds better than the first two. I mean, that's kind of damning with faint praise. Um, And still, despite the fact that I enjoyed these last two issues a whole lot more than the first two, um, this still isn't my kind of book. Um, First, and, and most importantly, it's just not fun. This isn't fun to read. I mean, there, there can be silly stories. There can be stories that are, you know, from a different generation than I am that I can still have fun with. Uh, I mean, we talked on the main show about uh, Gwenpool not too long ago. Very silly book that, it, like, pings all the red flags that say, you know, Chris should not like this book, and I absolutely adored it. This just isn't fun. None of these characters give you a reason to want to root for them. Now, this is the problem that I have with these, as I've called them in the past, I call them Alvaro teams. Now, now that, and I've, I've said this before, but if you're not aware or if you're new to the show, this is what I call weird and random teams, uh, relating to all those old, like, fantasy book your dream X-Men team forum posts over at the old Alvaro comic boards that I'd see probably around the turn of the century. Now, these posts would always start out in earnest, you know, the honest question here, but they would quickly devolve into forum members simply trying to out-obscure one another. Hey, remember this guy? I bet you don't. And they they put all these, like, weird characters together without any sort of consideration for how this team could possibly exist and tell interesting stories. It's just, hey, this is weird. Now, here, in Generation X Volume 2, we've got a weird, quirky, and random team. The problem is, with very few exceptions, they're all way too similar in that they're all kind of useless, they're very milquetoast and mousy, and again, they're just not very fun to read about. Now, this might just be more crisp problems where maybe I am just too old for this sort of thing. You know, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I hate to break it to Marvel, but I'm, I think I'm kind of their main comics demographic here, so what are you going to do? Uh, let's jump over to the art. Uh, the art here, the, you know, Amilcar Pinna, has never really been my bag. Um, but when we get past the staples in this issue, as I mentioned during the synopsis, it definitely falls off a cliff. Uh, the second artist, Martin Morazzo, he tries to keep the tone and style of Pinna, along with some notes of Frank Quietly, only it really doesn't work out. Um, it results in some brutally ugly characters. Uh, Bling Simpson and Gert Pixie are particular standouts. Um, the sequential storytelling of the art is mostly solid. It's just these faces and poses are a little bit rough here. Very, very melty. Um, now, for the story, I, I really can't speak to the current, or I guess as of this moment, uh, Monet situation. I know they made her relationship with her family even more complicated, as if that were possible. We know from reading the current year Hoxpox era books that she will ultimately get better. Not sure if she's the big bad for this volume of uh, Generation X, but I gotta say, if she is, I'm okay with it. Um, now, I mean, she's always been portrayed as overpowered, and now, under Mplate's influence, she's quite the formidable opponent for this team, and further reason why this series should be called Generation X, instead of, like, New Young X-Men Academy, whatever, volume, whichever. Which, I mean, 
It very well could have been. Now, our main takeaway from this issue would be uh, Roxy and uh, her, you know, internal struggle here. We find out why she wants to be an X-Men, why she needs to be an X-Men, I should say. And, uh, you know, there's a lot that you can relate to there, and it's a lot that uh, it makes perfect sense why a character like Roxy, whose powers unfortunately also affected the way she appears, to need a purpose in her life, need a direction, and realize that if she were to, you know, rejoin, you know, just working alongside, you know, everyday normal folks, that'd be a rather, you know, tough road to hoe for her. That's going to be uncomfortable. That's going to be just not a pleasant experience. So I totally understand her wanting to be an X-Man here. And it also makes perfect sense why she would feel a sort of closeness to Chamber, considering his, you know, challenges with appearance and inability to blend in with just regular folks. So I I like that. I think that's really well done here. Um, I like the concept of her, like, sort of, like, tough girl persona being, like, a defense mechanism, you know? Uh, Not really wanting to tell her teammates exactly... The reasons why she, this is so important to her right now. Not telling Jubilee why this is so important to her right now because she probably figures that Jubilee wouldn't be able to relate the same way that Chamber would. So I really have no complaints with the Roxy story here, other than the fact that she makes such good points that I want to see her go to Chamber's team. <laughs> I mean, she's got no reason to hang around with these goofballs on Jubilee's squad. Uh, she should be with Chamber, she deserves to be with Chamber. But um, let's talk about the uh, the geeks on Jubilee Squad here. The group hug at the end, or the, the little love-in, that was pure cringe there. And I'm glad that they actually kind of lampshaded it by having Quentin call it out and be like, no, not doing it, not doing the love-in thing here. It was like I was watching that episode of Saved by the Bell where they sang Friends Forever. It was a very, very cringe. It is weird that, uh, I mean, Quentin is being written... In such a way that I think I think we're supposed to be rooting against him actively. We're supposed to hate his guts here. And again, like I said before, I don't know what it says about me, but he's like the only character in this book that I'm actually kind of rooting for. Outside of Roxy, but I'm rooting for Roxy to get out of the book. To go somewhere else where she could be uh, better utilized. Because this book ain't it. Overall, like I said uh, at the outset here, these last two issues, the... Uh, the Shadow Monet issues here have been a whole lot better than the first two. The first two were phenomenally weak. Um, these two were a fair amount better and uh, actually make me a little bit optimistic for what's to come here. I'm hoping we do see uh, more of the conflict between the original Generation X members here. I would absolutely love it if the you know the young kids here would uh, maybe be moved to the back burner for a bit because... They're not terribly interesting, but I don't see that happening, unfortunately. I do know from the covers that we will be getting some more cameos from original team members here. I believe uh, Husk is there, and I'm guessing we'll probably be seeing Monet again. So looking forward to seeing how that all plays out. I hope you are as well, and I think that's where we're going to leave it for today. Agree, disagree, please feel free to let me know. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, or you could shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. 
You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfinitearths.com. You can also chat us up on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men, and it's growing by the day. And finally, for all your Chris and Reggie listening needs, you can go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available on all your noise aggregation devices and applications. And uh, that is where we'll close out for today. I want to thank you all so, so much for sharing a little bit of time with me today. I really, really appreciate it. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.